Hello listeners everywhere! Welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities, a voyage into the vault of wonders on the wireless. In a moment, Simon Exton and Ken Moss will be here to speak to you. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this month, we are reviewing the big finish Doctor Who story, The Secrets of Det Sen. If you look over there, that uh, high peak in the distance, I do believe it's what the locals call Gangs Rinpoche, the precious jewel of snows. Hey, do you reckon we'll meet some pilgrims? <laughs> we may indeed, my child. Why would anybody want to trudge up these mountains? The pilgrims took a path around the eastern side of Mount Champa, down a shallow incline until the monastery of the second Dharma king was revealed before them. Ah, what's that? A call to evening prayers? If only, Doctor. It is a warning from Wangdula. Bandits descend on the monastery. Ah, bandits? Then we must move quickly. Doctor, where are you? They must not find this place. Quite so. The secrets contained here are not for bandits. Hmm? Imagine if they got their hands on the relics. It was too late. Alerted by the whispering, standing upright, arms raised menacingly, the Yeti all turned to face the intruders. Dr. Exton, do you have a precy for us? The first Doctor, while travelling with companions Dodo and Stephen, lands in the Himalayas and meets up with a group of Tibetan pilgrims who are going to the monastery of Detsen. There are two pilgrims that the characters really interact with, neither of whose names I can remember. One is a travelling monk and one is a female pilgrim. And the travelling monk really interacts with Dodo and the Doctor. Female pilgrim kind of flirts with Stephen and is saying, I'm looking for a husband, that kind of thing. They get to the monastery where they're welcomed in. And then there is an attack by bandits. The bandits are blocked out from the main doors, but are able to get in through a side door that has been left unbarred. There's an awful lot of we're Buddhists, we don't fight talk. At different times, both Stephen and the Doctor doing the Ian Chesterton role in the Daleks with the Thals, trying to persuade them to fight. The travelling pilgrim turns out to be a holy lama who is carrying an ancient relic, a bell called the Holy Ganta, as this whole story is setting the scene for the abominable snowmen. That's taken off him by the bandits and he tries to fight back but then gets beaten down. In the meantime, Stephen realises that it's the girl he's become friendly with who has let the bandits into the monastery. The monks are letting the bandits take whatever it is that they want. Dodo is helped to escape, goes and finds the yeti that are living on the mountain, encourages them to come back and attack the bandits. Bandits are defeated with the help of the yeti. Everybody's happy. It seems to take about three weeks to get to this point. It was so slow. It was unbelievable. Now, you heard this before I did, and you'd already said this. Up to a point, I didn't agree with you. 
Because this part of the Doctor Who early adventures range, they're very similar to the BBC Missing Adventures releases, where the soundtracks had narration by one of the actors. If they'd stick with that and do it exactly as the BBC did theirs, I think these releases would work a lot better. But they're just done in a tense that you don't know whether it's a narrator or one of the characters. That's a real minor niggle, but if they'd done it in the same tense that the BBC had done this, it would be a lot better. This is the first story to feature Dodo as a character. She's appeared in narration in the Companion Chronicles and I think some of the short trips, although I'm less familiar with those. Lauren Cornelius plays Dodo in this. My first impression was Jodie Whittaker. I mean, she sounds nothing like Dodo. No. I didn't pick up on it until you said that. But yeah, she's doing a 13th Doctor impression. And actually, she's doing quite a good 13th Doctor impression, but she's not doing a Dodo impression at all. No, I mean, from a a vocal perspective, Dodo's quite a hard one to get a handle on because she goes through about three different accents in her first two stories. But Dodo's just one of those... None of them were the accent that was in this one. No, they weren't. And I failed to see the point of resurrecting Dodo as a character With no disrespect to Jackie Lane, she just wasn't a very interesting companion. She wasn't given enough chance to develop characteristically on screen. She's not been one of those great lamented characters. Jackie Lane, she's the only one of the original cast who consistently declined to come back to Big Finish and recreate the role. Anthony Ainley as well. Oh, that is true, yes. And by all accounts, he was quite rude about it. But I'm fairly sure, I'm willing to be corrected, that they'd already decided to recast Dodo before Jackie Lane died. They were almost simultaneous, the announcement of the recasting and the death, I'm fairly sure. I'm with you on the slowness of the story. Now, oh, this is from a purely technical level. If they're going to do Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, they should stick rigidly to 25 minutes per episode. Good script editing, less is more. 25 minutes for a Doctor Who episode is enough, particularly at this level. This goes on, like you say, I think it's just pips two hours. So you're getting effectively an extra episode's worth of material that doesn't do anything to enhance the story. My first thought when I started listening to this was, it's a hybrid between the Abominable Snowmen, and particularly when the bandits turn up, it's impossible not to think of Marco Polo. But I wasn't overly offended by the slowness of the story. For the first couple of episodes, it felt like one of those early Hartnells, and they were quite slow. But by the time you get to episode three and four, and nothing's happened, that wears thin. I mean, the only interesting thing was which bit of the Abominable Snowmen are you going to crowbar in next? So we've got the Holy Ganter being the thing that they're chasing after and leaves with the Doctor at the end. The big reveal of the Pilgrim being Padma Sambhava is obvious from pretty much the first time you meet Mm. him. Because you know that Padma Sambhava is going to turn up and he's really the only candidate that it can be. Dodo and the Yeti. My God, it's such a blatant ripoff of Fagador. Well, yeah, singing the song and feeding the Yeti. So I know that chronologically, the great intelligence only turns up, what, a hundred years after this story or something. Why have the Yeti in there at all? They do bugger all. 
and they're not robots in this they are actual yeti it just teases all the way through with things to come you already know how the story is going to finish but spoiler alert it ends up with the doctor just sauntering off with this holy ganter Yes, I'll pop it back in 50 years. This incredibly important relic that they've been trying all stories to stop the bandits from stealing. There you go, Doctor. See you in 50 years. You you will come back now, won't you? And the reason it's incredibly important is because it's kind of a Rosetta Stone for translating all of their other stuff. So it's not just this is a religious trinket that we like a lot. It's this is something that is actually incredibly useful. The episodes in this are actually given individual titles. Episode 1 is called The Abominable Snowman. Mm-hmm. Episode 2 is Guru Rinpoche Day. Episode 3 is The Bandits. And episode 4 is The Ganter of Detsen. Again, the monastery isn't called Detsen for the vast majority of the story. And the Rinpoche name is teased all the way through. And the Doctor makes allusions to, ah, you're not what you say you are. You, know, we, you don't know who this person is. All the way through, you're thinking, is this something to do with Kanpo? or the third Doctor's regeneration, or the Hermit up the mountain. And it's fuck all to do with any of that. So you're left with this slight feeling of, I've been cheated here. Oh no, I didn't think any of that at all. Because, yeah, the monastery might not have been called Detsen for most of the story, but the story is called Detsen. There is no doubt that this monastery you're going to is the Detsen monastery. And the monks themselves may not realise this yet, but the audience has. So it is blatantly nothing but a setup for Abominable Snowmen. In terms of the portrayals of the main characters, poor Peter Purvis. Having done the crossover with him and Fraser Hines doing the Doctors, and having his Doctor portrayal so outclassed by Fraser Hines... I can't unhear how unlike Hartnell his version is. It has absolutely wrecked Peter Purvis's portrayal as Hartnell for me. See, I've never particularly thought that Peter Purvis nails it. He gets a lot of the cadences and the mannerisms, but mm. he sounds very little like Hartnell. That's not a slur. Peter Purvis is not William Hartnell, and he's not an impressionist. He's an actor. But they've got John Guiler right out in the open. This man has actually been in Doctor Who as the first Doctor, He does Hartnell spot on. Why are you not using this man? And the other thing, I mean, mean, we've already talked about Dodo not sounding like her. Dodo also didn't act like her because in this story, she's very proactive and she's the one Mm. that goes out and finds the Yeti and brings him back. She's not that proactive in any of her televised stories. Can you think of anything Dodo does that is that proactive? No. But Dodo, to me, is one of those non-companions. Well, she was the last of the surrogate grandchildren, wasn't she? Yeah. And they were there to get captured and drive plot rather than resolve it. And that's generally what Dodo did. And Jackie Lane did a good, effective job of it, but she was never as plot-resolutioning as this Dodo was. And we also seem to have got Stephen as the awkward, belligerent Stephen from The Savages, rather than the sympathetic Stephen that you have throughout pretty much the whole of the rest of his run. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Quite a few times during the story, Stephen's actually not a nice character. And for the vast, vast majority of his run, it's virtually impossible not to like him. And the only time that changes is in The Savages. He's Mm. He's a bit of a dick in The Savages. He's a lot of a dick in this one. So I don't think any of the TARDIS crew really, really work. The episode length of 30 to 40 minutes, yeah, annoyed the hell out of me. You're emulating classic Doctor Who. That had to stick to 25 minutes. 
this should stick to 25 minutes. And it's not like it was such a tightly plotted, intricate story that you needed that extra time. This was dull and flabby and really could have done with some fairly hefty script editing. There's also almost nothing in this that's original, if not nothing mm. in this that's original. The anti-pacifism stuff is pretty much lifted from Ian persuading the Thals to attack the Dalek city in the first Dalek story. All the MacGuffins are straight out of Abominable Snowmen. The Yeti whispering is Agador. There is mm. nothing original here. And actually, the thing that Big Finish are generally really good at is sound design. And it felt very flat. I didn't really get any difference between being on the mountaintop and being inside the monastery. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. no, I did. No, no, I thought that when they first land, I think the only, again, it's a real minor niggle, but the early TARDIS landing sound was not the later TARDIS landing sound. There's a very Hartnell TARDIS. And as far as I'm aware, they've never used it. Again, if you're going to emulate an era of a television program, go the full nine yards and do it completely. That's such a minor niggle. I don't want to have a downer on this, because for the first couple of episodes, like I say, I did actually quite enjoy that it was that early, very slow, Hartnell historical type of story where not a lot happens. It is quite wordy and, uh, and almost a lesson in history. There was a lot of that in part one, certainly. Yes, but it's a, a lesson in history that is effectively written, effectively played. None of the TARDIS team were what you expect. None of the guest characters spoke believably. Okay, to start with, the two pilgrims that you interact with are both hiding fairly massive things. But the writing just seemed very heavy-handed. There was pretty much no difference between any of the monks. There was a, a scholar that was hidden underneath the monastery who was, frankly, pretty pointless. I was bored by this from start to finish. And I like Hartnell historicals. And even that, it falls apart by having the Yeti in there. So it can't even do being a historical properly. Yeah, but the Yeti aren't the Yeti that we know. They are actual Yeti. Which who appear at the end of Abominable Snowman, I think. Certainly they appear at the end of Abominable Snowman in the novel. Mm. Oh, I don't know. It was just, it was a big flabby story and really, really didn't need to be. If they'd have condensed this back down to a four-part story, the running time is for a five-part story. If you'd have condensed would, this down properly, you might... It would still be it would, dull. It because, would be dull, but it wouldn't be as dull. God, script edit, guys, come on. Less um, is more. Realistically, there isn't any kind of original plot here. No, there isn't. The, the TARDIS I, team are written poorly. I think the actors do the best with what they've got. Hartnell, and I know he quite enjoyed the occasional bit of fisticuffs, but he's not as consistently violent as he is in this. There's one last point that I will say. The guy that plays Odiana, whose name is Paul Courtney Hugh, all the way through, I was just reminded of Silas Carson, who is the voice of the Ood. And he's nowhere, I was quite convinced it was him, and he's nowhere near the cast list. So that's who he sounds like to me. But we've probably picked through the bones of this reasonably dull nice. story long enough. It's time to race in earworms. This is the song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friends. Ooh, what do we think? This is out of ten. Well, I'm going with a two. Mm. I was bored senseless by this terrible portrayal of the TARDIS crew. 
an incredibly dull, unoriginal, uninspired, flabby story and a recast companion who sounds nothing like the character she's recast as. And considering this is supposed to have been released as a tribute to the actress that she's supposed to be portraying, that's a bit of a slap in the face to Jackie Lane. Big Finish have done much better prequels and sequels to stories than this. It ended up being a slog, but it didn't need to be. It started out as a nice homage to those early Hartnell historicals. It just ended up being a slog to the point where when the action finally does kick off, you don't care. (sighs) And even the action is very slow. It is, but it takes forever to get there. You know, when do the bandits turn up? Is it the end of episode two? And they don't actually attack till part four. Oh, no, I'm, I'm really sorry. I hate having a downer on Big Finish, but this was not a good one, guys. I'm going to give it two. Oh, God, two out of ten. I feel so bad about this, but nothing about this hangs together in the way that it should. You've put out much better material, particularly if you're going to resurrect a companion. And they have done it with such unloved characters and turned them into somebody that they are interesting. Dodo is not that character. The obvious one to compare to is the recast Katarina, who sounded like Katarina of the telly. I mean, she was much more animated, but that's down to the original Katarina being a bit planky. But you could listen to her and get a feeling of the Katarina that we saw from Dalek Masterplan. There is nothing about the telly Dodo that was in this performance at all. No, Katarina and Dodo are two companions that would happily consign to the bin. There's nothing there that interests me enough to bring either of them back. The Katarina that they brought back for, it was it Daughter of Time? Daughter of the Gods. Daughter of the Gods. It was effectively a completely different character to me. I didn't recognise any of the Katarina in that that was on television. She was a more interesting character on the audio. But it sounded like her. Um, a more animated performance, but the voice sounded like Telecatcher. Maybe. Again, I wasn't blown away with her as a companion. I just didn't think that that particularly worked. It was an interesting experiment, but it's one that you're charging the public for. And I think that's probably my beef with this. It's cost quite a bit of money to hear something that's nothing like that. Oh, this is just a misstep. No, I hate having a downer on it, but there we go. I don't have a problem having a downer on it because if you're saying that you're a professional company, and I think these days Big Finish are, but this is something that relies purely and simply on the name Doctor Who and has nothing else to recommend it. And if you're expecting people to pay a good wadge of money as opposed to buying something from the the BBC radio range, then it should be of comparable quality and it isn't on any level. No, well, we've listened to other stuff that has been... It's nothing to do with Doctor Who. That Space 1889 stuff, the first three of the four in that series, were really bloody good, actually. And who wrote the fourth one? Can't remember. Same person who wrote The Secrets of Dead Sen. Politeness forbids me from carrying on. Well, what hopefully forbids you from carrying on is the fact that we're going to do The Space 1889 in a future episode. That I will look forward to. Politeness has never stopped you in the past. That is true. The final bit that we're doing this time is Podcast of the Week. Well, I'm going to recommend one for once this month. It's Pieces of Eighth. (laughs) 
It's an Eighth Doctor podcast examining all the adventures of the Eighth Doctor in audio, comics, print, TV. And it's hosted by Kenny Smith and Rebecca Chapman. They chat about anything and everything to do with Paul McGann's incarnation of the Doctor. You'd think that that would be quite a a niche podcast that doesn't have a lot of material to go at, but they've got some really good interviews on there. They've had Philip Segal, they've had George Mann, who was responsible for a lot of the IDW comic strips, and they drill down into the, the various adventures in a way that isn't as dull as it might appear or that isn't as limited as you would think that the source material is. Kenny Smith, he's the editor of Vortex magazine for Big Finish, which I only found out after I started listening to the podcast. I've got a great love for Paul McGann as the Doctor. I saw it pop up on Twitter. I thought I'll give it a go. And I'm racing through the episodes. I'm really enjoying them. So anyone who's a fan of The Eighth Doctor, you'll probably like this. Okay, well, I've never heard of it before, so I'll give it a go. So on that note, we shall sign off. Next month, we will be doing A Doubtful Death, which is a Charles Paris mystery. Now, I've never heard of this until today. It's thankfully landed on the doorstep, courtesy of your good self, Dr. Exton. Very briefly, what's this? It's a CD. Find out more next time. (laughs) Charles Paris is a series of murder mystery novels written by Simon Brent, some of which have been adapted for radio, and stars Bill Nye as the lead character. He is a late middle-aged, washed-up actor living in his ex-wife's spare room, drinking, smoking, bit of a relic, gets involved in fairly run-of-the-mill murder mysteries, often set around theatre or the acting profession. It's very entertaining, predominantly because of Bill Nye's performance. Big fan of in whatever he's been in, so that is one to look forward to. I shall stick it in the player, write my notes, and we shall be back next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that we've entertained you. See you soon. Bye now. The Archive of Audio Antiquities featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. And the announcer was Jenny at Blue Box 99. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was by Edward White and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.